Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Christ Culture and Coffee. We are back starting a new series on New Testament reliability. You don't want to miss it. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We are your hosts, Tyler Hurley, here with Robbie Lashua. I'm back. Yes, you back. are back, Robbie. It's yep. nice to have you back. It was a little weird being by myself last week. Talking to no one in a yeah. room all alone. I know yeah, you've done it a couple weird. times before, and it's, it's just I can't say it's my favorite. Different. Yeah, I like having a human to talk yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, rather than thinking of like the hundreds of listeners, you know, they're, sure. they're like, I can't picture them. I'm just looking at a camera. So yeah, I'm you're like, staring into a black hole. Yeah, I don't know basically. what's happening. Yeah. So. It's but, nice to know that there's people on the other side of the lens. It is. Once we post this, definitely tons of people who listen. But yeah, it's, it's nice to be with a real human being. Yes. by yourself yes. in a room, yeah. But we are super excited because today we're going to be starting a brand new series. It's on New Testament reliability, yep. and we have a lot to unpack. So we're going to be doing this over several episodes, but we've been having a lot of people reach out to us about this, saying they wanted us to talk more about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot out there on New Testament reliability. So Yeah, there's so much evidence for it, and um, mm-hmm. we definitely need to... Uh, need to know this stuff. I was just talking with one of my friends and he was saying how he was talking with a guy this week, uh, talking about how he believes in the Bible. And the guy said, oh man, it's really hard to believe in the Bible because of science. It's like, yeah. what does that mean? Well, you know, no, I don't. Like, <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> well, you, know. you know. So yeah, we, we need to know why we believe the New Testament's reliable in what it says, that it's reliable in how it's been translated, that it's reliable in how it's been transmitted. Yeah. And we're going to be going over all those things in the next few weeks, which will be kind of fun. Yeah, that's great. But yeah. before we get into that, you have a coffee tip for us today? I do. And this is like that's a practical great. coffee tip um, because, uh, how do I say it? I made this mistake a lot of times. So uh, the first time I went to Europe was in 2005. And I, I went over there to go to France to help out at this camp in the French Alps, uh, this Christian camp. It was awesome. I went there a couple of times. I went there again in 2007. Again, I've been to Romania. You've been to Europe a few times. Yeah. 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 And so this is the thing that... Um, the European countries, if you order coffee, you're getting espresso. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I really like brewed coffee. Like I like a big glass of coffee, a oh, big cup of coffee. Okay. But when you're over there, they always give you just this little thing of espresso, and it's fine. Yeah. But man, sometimes you're like, I just need regular coffee. Yeah, that's what they. That's the other all thing, they give you. The yeah. other thing that annoys me is they always put tons of sugar in it too, and yeah. I don't like a lot of sugar in my coffee. <laughs> so it's like this sweet, super strong little shot of espresso. I want a real cup of coffee, and I finally discovered how you get it there. You have to say Americano. Right. Oh yeah, and that's why. And yeah. now again, it's it's not going to be brewed coffee because if if you don't know what americano is, you can get those at coffee shops here. But it, right. what what it is is it's espresso shots, and then they water it down and make it into a big cup of coffee. Yeah, and actually, when I was there not long ago, that's what they told us we had to order if we oh, wanted yeah. specifically. Oh, like you that. had somebody help you with that? I did. I Dude, got that's lucky. awesome. Yeah, I did they, not have that. everywhere I went because <laughs> I, I was in a few countries, but they okay. where they had a us order coffee that way but you you just went up to them and you'd say uh cafe espresso americano okay and they roll yeah. your eyes at you like they oh, would understand. you want it watered down you basically that yeah. was, that's what they would say no. <laughs> it's true yeah but it, that's the only way to yeah. get it when you're over there so if you're in europe just order an, and you want that get, yes. get an americano right and even if you're at a local coffee shop try it because it does taste different than brewed coffee yeah it because does. it's espresso shots watered mm-hmm. down with hot water um it's pretty nice i used to actually um they don't have this anymore, but Starbucks used to have uh, almond syrup. Do you remember this? This was a long, long time ago. Wow, I, I think so. That brought back some memories. I think it was like a long, long time ago. Yeah. And I used to get a, a, a large black Americano, Gosh. no milk, just with one I splash of I think my mom got that syrup. when I was a kid before I was allowed to drink coffee. Dude, it was but so good. Yeah. I wish they would bring it back. But anyway, <laughs> so that's your tip for today. If you find yourself gallivanting around Europe Order an Americano, and it'll give you a little bit of comfort of home while you're there in your coffee preference. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you, Tyler. I like that. Yeah. Well, hey, let's get into the subject today. So we've got a lot to talk about today in regards to the reliability of the New Testament. And there's so many different avenues we could talk about, so many different evidences we could get into. But we kind of want to start off by talking about how historians 
um, look at ancient manuscripts and how they determine if they're good, if they're reliable, if they're telling the truth, if they're noteworthy, right? Yes. And so we want to treat the New Testament documents like a historian would. Yeah, and these uh, factors that we're about to apply to the New Testament, that this is how history in every category is mm -hmm. surveyed and investigated more. And so that's kind of the tactic we, we should be taking with Scripture, is applying how we do history in everywhere else of the world, because that what we should be applying to the Bible if it's real. Yep, and a, and a good book to get on how to do history um, is uh, The Resurrection, uh, A New Historiographical Approach by Michael Lacona, uh, and we've put links to it in other shows and stuff, but that is such a good book, um, not just on the resurrection, but on how historians do history. Yes. Uh, so that we're going to share some of the, these ideas from Michael Lacona, and um, then we're going to apply them to New Testament reliability. So let's get started, all right? Let's do it. This sounds great. All right. The first thing that, that historians will look for to see if uh, an event or, or things that are claimed to have happened in the past are reliable is if there are multiple independent sources, all right? And now, this only makes sense, right? The more independent sources that you have that are all saying the same thing, the more sure you can be that whatever they are saying happened. Yes. Right? So if you just find one, it may have happened. Right. But, man, if you find 10... It's more likely. It's way more likely because a bunch of different people from yeah. different walks of life are recording the same event. So the first thing we want is multiple independent sources. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit later. Right. But let's share the next criteria that, that we look for. Yeah, that's eyewitness reports, right? And that's where eyewitness testimony reports the events that had occurred, meaning that the person who wrote it down actually was there. Yeah. Uh, and now that's important, right? Because uh, obviously it's a little stronger that, than having a secondhand account where someone who didn't witness it, but just was told about it by word mm -hmm. of mouth. Uh, eyewitness testimony of someone who actually saw the events is really important in doing history. Yeah. And you know, in our day and age, we have, you know, video witness yeah, testimony way but for, for ancient documents you don't have that you don't have recordings you don't have video so we need to say what's the best witness it'd be an eyewitness yeah. right it'd be somebody who is actually at the event uh if i wrote a book tyler and uh it was about uh george washington right and i didn't use any sources at all I just thought, what do I know about him? There's a cherry tree <laughs> thing. He demanded he would be on the first dollar bill. I think he went across a river on a boat. I think he so, had too. wooden teeth. I'm just making up stuff I've heard, you know, what, what would it be? Over 200 years later, it's not very good. Yeah, right. But if, if, right. if there was a book written about George Washington by one of his best friends, that's really good because he's an yeah. eyewitness. And I'm, I'm 200 plus years removed. So yes. That doesn't yes. make sense. So you want eyewitness report. <clears throat> Even in the court of law today, eyewitness report is the best type of of, witness, of course it is. Right? It's the of best type. You need people that have actually experienced it who can report on it because, yep. yeah, it's like like you said, like today, if we went and tried to write about events that took place 200 years ago, just yeah, off of on. our own accord, like, yeah. That just making nothing. it up. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so. so we want multiple independent sources. We want eyewitness reports. And the third thing that we want to look for are that the reports are early. Yes. That these independent sources are early on. So eyewitness testimony is great, but the closer to the time of the thing happening. So again, uh, I was an eyewitness of events in my life, right? Like yeah. I, I, I've been to the Grand Canyon multiple times. I was up there last week. Yeah, that's right. So I am an eyewitness to the Grand Canyon, right? But now, if I wait 40 years, hopefully I live that long, if I wait 40 <laughs> years, and then I write about my experience at the Grand Canyon 40 years ago, I still was an eyewitness, but there's a lot of time that's gone by for me to forget stuff. Yeah, that's right. right. So the better would be multiple different people who were actually there at the time, eyewitness, who wrote not super long after the event yes, they're writing about. That's very important. So early reports are very important. Yeah, and then with that, there's also the fourth case that we're going to give you here is for embarrassing details yes. left in history. Now, obviously, if you're making something up or if something is put up on the spot, you would not want to include embarrassing details. Like mm -hmm. if I went and I wanted to make up a story of something that I experienced mm -hmm. that was totally fabricated, I would want to make myself come across as the hero. Right. Sure. Or, or yeah, yeah. at least at the very least, like I want to be a nice 
upstanding citizen, right? Like yeah. I want to look good if I'm telling people about something that I was involved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if um, someone leaves details in a story or something that they're telling that they were a part of that includes embarrassing details, that makes it more credible because they're probably being honest about what actually happened. Yeah, you wouldn't put that in there unless you're just trying to be honest. Yeah, right. Nobody makes that stuff up, especially about themselves. Yeah, and then we see throughout the New Testament that this happens, but mm-hmm. like uh, um, Paul with yeah. uh, stuff that he went through, Paul and Barnabas splitting up yeah. during their mis- missionary journeys. You see it um, all throughout the New Testament, Peter denying Jesus three times. Yeah, that's like, right. Would you write that about yourself? Mm, yeah. That's a bad idea, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and Peter actually was the author behind the Gospel of Mark, which yeah, we'll talk about yeah. that in a little while. But why would you put that stuff down about you? I know. And then we even talked about a few weeks ago with uh, some resurrection stuff that... Yeah. Um, that's the disciples mentioned that the women found the body first and yep. then they didn't believe them. It's an embarrassing detail yeah. for that time period because women weren't credible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You even have, I mean, think about this. Peter records that Jesus called him Satan. Yikes. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's a terrible way to get people to follow you as a cult leader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why would he write that? Well, it probably happened, right? Yeah, it probably I think so. happened. Yep. So, embarrassing details are a big deal. So, you want multiple independent sources. You want eyewitness reports. You want early reports. You want to see embarrassing details in the reports. And another criteria that I think is really important is what's called attestation by an enemy or the enemy of the person who's writing saying, yeah, the same similar thing happened. Yeah. For instance, um, in our day and age, um, uh, political parties are completely on opposite ends of the spectrum and don't like each other. And it's this whole thing. Um, If you if you would go back to um, the 90s with President Bill Clinton, he had an affair with Monica Lewinsky. You remember this? She was an intern and it was this terrible, terrible thing. Um, Democrats and Republicans would both agree that he had an affair with Monica Lewinsky. That's right. Which really makes that uh, event probable to happen because these guys don't agree on anything. Yeah, but they but agreed they that that happened. they both <laughs> agree yeah. that that happened, <laughs> right. right? It's like in our day and age, if somebody said, pre- if, if the Democratic Party and the Republican Party both said that President Trump did a good job with something, he probably did a really good job with it because yeah, there's no way they right. both agree no. on it. Yeah. Or a bad job, there's no way they both yeah, agree. Right. It lends credibility. So if your enemy is saying that the, some of the stuff you're saying is true, it really bolsters the truth of that. Yeah, yeah. And so we would want to find enemies talking about similar things uh, in in the reliability of the New Testament. Yes, that's very important. Yeah, I think it is. And so we're going to get into all this kind of stuff in the next few weeks. Um, but for today, we're going to focus on two things. We're going to focus on how many independent sources do we have of the New Testament, yes. for the New Testament. And then we're going to talk about how early are the reports in the New Testament. Yeah. All right. So let's let's talk about independent sources that we have because this is a big deal. Um, this is a big deal. Um, when we're talking about an independent source, Tyler, we we don't mean how many books of the New Testament are there. Right. Right. Because how many books are there? There's 27 books. Yeah. Right. So is that 27 independent sources? No. No. Yeah. Because Paul wrote 13 of those books. Yes. So yes, how many right. sources are all 13 of those books? Yeah, or then you have other books that were written by multiple disciples, like like yeah. John, you know, he Yeah, wrote, John, Matthew, yeah, Matthew, right? Luke and Acts, it's Luke, like, yeah. Acts, Mark. But so so you have to pare it down. So this is where it gets interesting is we say, okay, uh, Paul wrote 13 epistles. That's one source. That's just Paul. Yeah. Right? So those 13 get condensed down to one, right? Then you have James, Jesus' brother. So there's another one. You have Jude. Yeah. Jesus' other brother. There's another one. You have the writer of Hebrews who wasn't Paul, but we don't know who it was. So there's another one. So now we're up to four. Then you have Luke and Acts, right? Because Luke wrote Luke and Acts. Yes. So now we're at five. And then you have John who wrote John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. Yes. So now we're at six. And then you have Matthew who wrote Matthew. (laughs) Yeah. And then you have Mark who wrote Mark. Right? Am I forgetting any? I don't think so. Peter. Peter. Oh, Peter, thank you. who wrote I don't know why I first forgot and Peter second too. Peter. Yep. <laughs> so so that's nine sources, right? 
nine sources, but actually there's more. And this is where it gets fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I am a super nerd and I love getting into studying text criticism and stuff. So um, how we determine a source is not if somebody says something and then somebody writes a blog based on what they say and then somebody makes a podcast based on the blog, that's still just one source. Yes, because it's talking about the same information from the same person. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we want to find independent sources. And I I just want to take, I think that this is really cool. Let's take Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The three Gospels, they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they're very similar to each other in the stories they tell, where John is very different in the accounts of of Jesus. So the Synoptic Gospels, how many sources do we have in the Synoptic Gospels? Well, here's how it goes. Um, Most people agree that Mark wrote his Gospel first. Yes. Right? It's called Markin priority, just meaning he wrote first. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for, for why they think this. Um, one of the reasons is because in Luke and in Matthew, there are like direct quotes from Mark. That yeah, they just right. they copy and paste it and put in their books. That, they seem very similar to, obviously, like you said, they're synoptic. They're yes. together, so it makes sense. That yeah, they would so there's a ton of stuff from Mark mm-hmm. in Matthew and Luke. So let's count. How many sources is that? Well, there's Mark, and then there's the stuff from Mark that's copy and pasted into Matthew and Luke. That's still just Mark. Yes. Right? So you have one source there. In addition to the Mark stuff that's in Matthew and Luke, you also have Matthew's original stuff. Mm-hmm. And Luke's original stuff. Yes. Uh, and you can really see those in the birth stories of Jesus. Yeah, right? that's right. Matthew talks a lot about Joseph. Luke talks a lot about Mary. They're not the same. They're not quoting the exact same stuff for the for the birth narratives. They're different. They're original, okay? Even the genealogies are different. Yes. Uh, after, right. after David, which is interesting. We'll talk about that another time. But um, so, so now you have Luke, Mark... Mark and Matthew and Luke, so that's one source. And then you have Matthew's stuff, and then you have Luke's stuff. Yes. So within the three synoptics, you have so far three sources, right? Yeah. That's but now right. this is where it gets weird, Tyler. Are you ready We're for ready this? Ready for it. This is I think this is fascinating. <laughs> if you scrutinize Matthew and Luke, you will find that they quote Mark, which we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. You will find that they each have their own independent stuff. But in addition to that, you will also find that they both are quoting another source. That's this is fascinating. So this other source is called the Q document. That's right. Um, Q stands for Quell, which is German for source. So it's just called uh, the source document, right? The Q document. Um, there's a lot of examples you can look up if you'd like to, like Matthew 3, 7 through 10, and Luke 3, 7 through 9 are identical. Uh, Matthew 6, 24, and Luke 16, 13 are identical, but they're not from Mark. That's right. So yeah. people look at them and they're like, okay, this is where it gets interesting. So is is Matthew quoting Luke or is Luke quoting Matthew or are they both quoting another source? And we think that mm-hmm. they're both quoting something else because in the birth stories of Jesus, they're so different. And yes. you'd think that they would cross-pollinate those together, and they don't. And so the Q document is really a, an interesting document. And uh, we don't have it. We don't like have an old manuscript that has these verses in it. But there are 235 verses that we find in the text of Matthew and Luke that are from this other cue, this other source. Yes, yes. And that's very fascinating because you got to just wonder what it was. Like, was it another gospel writing or was it another, uh, just some other account that they both recorded from back in the day? But it's... Well, it's just crazy. There's, yeah. there's, uh, and again, this is where there's a lot of speculation on it. Now, there's some right, people right. who don't even believe the Q document exists. They oh, believe, I've heard that too. They believe it's yeah. Matthew writing. Uh, there's a lot of people actually who don't believe Mark's the first gospel. They believe mm. Matthew is. And um, there's only one reason to believe it, not because it's listed first in the New Testament, right? Because when you were a kid, did you have to learn the New Testament? Oh, yeah, Matthew, I did. Matthew, Mark, Luke, yep. John. There's all these songs <laughs> for it, right? Matthew's first. That means it's first. Well, actually, we don't think it is. I, I definitely don't think it is. Yeah, I believe yeah. Mark was written first. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, Mark being written first, I, I think it needed to be because if it wasn't, what you would have is Matthew writing first. And then mm. Mark copying Matthew 
and using worse grammar. Yeah. And cutting yeah. out stuff. And then you go, why would he even need to write it if it was already in Matthew? That doesn't make sense, right? Mm, but if you were yeah. if you reverse it, you would see why Matthew was copying some stuff of Mark, but then he was also adding other things into mm, his gospel. Okay. Yep. And, and one of the reasons for this, Tyler, and no, again, we we really hit history uh, historically. We live at a bizarre time where we can just uh, there's just paper galore. Oh yeah, right? yeah. and then there's so dig- there's just digital paper. I can scroll forever and I can just have stuff on here. When when yes. these guys were yes. writing, they had to get scrolls, and yeah. scrolls only came in a certain size. It yeah. wasn't like you it was could just very get, specific. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll take the extra large scroll, please. It wasn't <laughs> like something like that. Yeah. So there were only certain sizes. So Matthew comes along. He copies a lot of stuff from Mark, but then he adds more stuff. If you had Mark writing after Matthew, then you'd have him taking Matthew and cutting out a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. It makes more sense that Matthew wrote, took some of Mark, and then added additional stories yes. in. Um, so there's a there's a lot more reasons to it, but I'm I'm pretty confident Mark was written first, and then Matthew and Luke were after that. But the Q document. Um, plays into this. So there is an ancient uh, church historian. I'm trying to see if I have it uh, in my notes because this was interesting. I can't Mm. remember the name of who it was. Yeah, here. Let me look here. Let's see that. But that is very interesting. I, for one, think that, for one, I think it's very interesting that people even debate the timeline of all of these because Mm -hmm. what's interesting is you see that, uh, like, clearly, I mean, we just mentioned it earlier, but there's tons and tons of passages uh, where the Q document, too, in particular, is quoted. Like, we've got uh, Matthew 3, 7 through 10, Luke 3, 7 through 9, and, like, uh, the, the verses are identical, and you could see they're getting it from an original. Yeah. I, I, found, I found exactly what I was looking for. No, so, nice. So this is one of the reasons that people think Matthew wrote first, and it's because an ancient church father named Papias he documented Matthew wrote first. Oh, look at that! Wow. But then he, but then he says that he wrote first in in the Hebrew language, huh? Okay, in, in Aramaic, in, yeah, in, in yeah, the Hebrew dialect. The Gospel of Matthew was not originally written in Aramaic. It mm. was written in Greek, like for sure. To translate yes, it back, right. he missed out, like we know it was written in Greek originally. Mm-hmm. So. Um, some people say, see, that means Matthew's gospel is first. And I would say, no, it doesn't mean the Matthew gospel we have was first. So what is Papias referring to when he says Matthew wrote first in the, the Hebrew dialect, right? Yeah. So there are some people like Craig Keener who think that the Q document is this this document that Papias is referring to. Oh, that he okay. knew that Matthew wrote in Aramaic first. Okay. But then Matthew later uh. on wrote his gospel in Greek. Isn't that fascinating? Now, now that's a good theory. Like, it is I an think, interesting yeah. theory, right? Now let's think about this because I, I, this is fascinating to me. We know that at the time of Jesus, about ninety percent of Palestine was illiterate. They couldn't read. And that's why Jesus tells stories. He gives really easy to remember sayings like turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, things like that. Um, We know that, especially Greek, like Peter was really bad at Greek. Uh, You can see that in his letters. First Peter, he uses a secretary. Mm, And then second Peter, he doesn't. And it's like, it's pretty, (laughs) it's rough. It's rough Greek, right? John, when he wrote the Gospel of John, it's like elementary school Greek. Like he uses, he doesn't use a verbose vocabulary. Luke does, but that's because he knew Greek. He was a doctor. He was educated, right? Yeah. Matthew. Now think about this. What was Matthew's job, Tyler? Before he became a disciple of Jesus. Oh, a tax collector. A tax collector yeah. has to know how to write. Yes, he does. And a tax collector works for the Romans, and the the language they used was what? Uh, Greek. Well, Greek, yeah. Yeah. So, so that makes sense. So, yeah. So, so this is interesting. So you have a literate follower of Jesus yeah. who probably was taking notes at the Sermon on the Mount. Mm, okay. Would, wouldn't he? Yeah. Because yeah. he was capable of that, and maybe the other guys weren't. So I think that Papias is, is telling us the truth that Matthew wrote first, but it's possible that what he's referring to is the Q document, not the Gospel of Matthew as we have it. Wow. Okay. I don't think I'd heard that before. It's all That's speculation, yeah. right? Now, but there's different theories on what is this Q document. Wow. It could be 
I mean, think about it. It could be Matthew's notes from when he was sitting listening. Yeah, I hadn't Jesus. heard that theory. Those two hundred and thirty-five. Yeah. Those two hundred and thirty-five uh, verses could be. Well, that would make sense how they both had access to it. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that interesting? And the majority of those verses are sayings of Jesus. Really? Okay. Yeah. Actually, you're right. Now that I think Isn't about that it, interesting. Now that I think about it, you're right. Even yeah. the ones I was just mentioning earlier, those were they're saints, saints of Jesus. Of Jesus. Yeah, they're Jesus tradition. So, anyways, ah, okay. that is fascinating to me. So, anyways, we kind of got well, not off. Well, track, if they weren't but, Matthew's, I'm sorry. I'm just yeah. thinking about this too. If they weren't Matthew's notes, they at the very least had to be somebody's notes on what yeah. Jesus was saying. Yeah, like they had to be direct written. Like someone scribed down what Jesus said. Like, yeah, that's and what, it wasn't. And it wasn't Luke. Because yeah, right. Luke wasn't a disciple at the time. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. So it makes more sense that it would have been Matthew's or it's just somebody else's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- who knows, you know? Well, we ha- don't have it, so. We don't have it, no, but we have it embedded in the gospel. Yes, that's so right. So when okay. it comes to the three synoptics, this is my point. When it comes to the three synoptic gospels, we have Mark and the stuff he wrote and the stuff that mm-hmm. was copied from him which is just one source. Yes. Then we have Matthew's original stuff, and then we have Luke's original stuff, and then we also have this Q stuff. Mm. That's another source, right? Uh, and then we have John. So within the four Gospels, we have five sources. That's yeah. how historians would that's, count it. Yeah. So that's right. what's called a multiple independent sources, right? Yeah. Five. Plus you add on to that, you know, Paul, and you add on to that James, and you add on to that Peter, and you add on to that, right? All of these different yes, people. Yes, that's right. You have multiple sources from the New Testament. I think 10 in all, um, completely. So that's really yeah. uh, good for us because um, the Jesus Seminar, which is a very um, liberal organization, it sounds friendly to evangelical Christianity. It's not. They they only think I think about fourteen percent of the New Testament is legitimate. Mm, they like okay, vote on okay. it, and they. But they say if there are two sources for a historical event, it probably happened. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Two. Two. And so just within the Gospels, we have five. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, so that's really interesting. So the stuff in the Gospels that's recorded in all five, right, like the resurrection and the crucifixion and these events, they'd have to conclude (laughs) that it probably happened, right? And now we're not even talking about did any enemies record this stuff? Are there any outside sources? Yeah, right, right. We're just talking about independent sources. How many are there? Um, And we have a ton, at least 10 in the New Testament. So now, let's move on to talking about how early these are, okay? And this is significant. Now, we have all of the dates, and again, these are dates that liberal scholars would agree with for the New Testament books. Um, But we're just going to start with, uh, I'm not going to read through all of them, but Galatians, most believe, was written in 49 AD. Uh And then the last book of the New Testament, Revelation, most people, the liberal scholars will say was written about 95. Some people think it was earlier. Yeah. But we're just going to say, for sake of argument, it was written really late, right? 95. Yeah. So the the New Testament books were written between 49 AD and 95 AD. Okay. Okay. So like roughly within 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think this is important too. We look and we see Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans were written. All of those were written before any of the gospels were written. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so if if we want to talk about what are our earliest reports, people will think the gospels because the gospels talk about the life of Jesus. But the Gospels were written after some of Paul's letters. Yes, so Paul, that's right. Those letters of Paul are our earliest. Does that does that make sense? Like, yeah, of course it does. And I know it's it's not reporting an earlier time period, but they were written first. They were written earliest, mm-hmm. and so those are our earliest reports about Jesus: Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians, and Romans. Yeah, that, that sounds Makes about sense. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so that's, uh, I think, an, an important thing to look at. Now, um, Paul's letters are really important, but some people, Tyler, will say, the earliest, the earliest you have written is 49 AD. Well, when did Jesus die? About like 30 AD? Yeah, 30. Yeah. It depends on how you date it. Some people believe it was in 30. Some people believe it was in 33. Yeah, I've heard that. But we'll just say 30 for sake of argument because yeah, sure. that's the most liberal we can be with mm-hmm. it. So if he died in 30 AD, and then the earliest written report we have is written in 49. Yeah. 
That's 19 years difference. Yeah, that's pretty close. It's pretty close, but I mean, we also talked about what if you went to the Grand Canyon 20 years ago? Yes, and then you were trying to write a book about it. It's still pretty far. It's a little. In that case, it's a little far, right? People would say that now. For significant events, I mean, 9-11 is almost 20 years ago, right? Oh, yeah. September 11th. And some of you weren't even alive that are listening to this yeah, when it happened. Yeah. But I remember where I was when it happened and how shocked I was and how crazy things were and how I couldn't fly home from Florida. And it, it, it was a thing. Yeah, yeah. And even to this day, I remember significant details about that because it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Even 20 years later. So when people say, oh, legend developed, I don't think people who were strict Jews then believed uh, Jesus was God just because 20 years passed. That's a, that's a yeah. tough pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah, <right>? that is. <laughs> so, but with that, there are about, there's about a 19-year gap where we don't have anything written about uh, Jesus. Yes, right? that's right. And so we, we want to dig into that and say, okay, well, how do we can we, can we get even closer uh, scripturally to these things, right? Mm-hmm. But we do have an interesting quote from an atheist named Bart Ehrman. He's yes. a, he's an a- atheist, an agnostic leaning atheist, um, and he's an, he's a really great New Testament scholar, actually. Uh, but he wrote this quote, which I think is fascinating. Do you want to read it, Tyler? Yeah, sure. Uh, Bart Ehrman said, "The seven letters that virtually all scholars agree Paul wrote, the so-called undisputed Pauline epistles, are Romans." First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, First Thessalonians, and Philemon. Okay, so I would I would be, I believe that Paul wrote all thirteen of the books yeah, that we right. have, and I and there's there's um I have tons of reasons for this. Oh, um, and Bart Ehrman actually lists why he doesn't think Paul wrote some of them, um, but his evidence just doesn't match up very well at all. Uh, but we don't have time to get into all that. Sure, <laughs> sure, right, right. But what I want to point out with this is he is not a Christian. He's a historian, yeah. New Testament histor- historical scholar, and he says that First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Romans, and uh, what were the other ones? First Thessalonians and Philemon were written by Paul. Yes, and I've heard him right. speak, and he says for sure the Apostle Paul, not somebody else who is pretending to be this dude. The Apostle Paul wrote those letters at the time we've just stated he wrote them in forty nine A.D. Writing Galatians, yeah. and then on through. So that is an undisputed. Uh, thing you can't say. Well, we don't really know if he wrote them. Yes, we do. We do know if he wrote them because even the atheist scholars agree with us. Like he says, virtually all scholars agree. Yes, Christian and non-Christian. So close case there. So now, Tyler, there's something interesting that we find within some hmm. of Paul's letters. And what's that? It's what's called charisma, and that's not a term that we use a lot, right? And I'm not talking about charisma, uh, charisma. Um, And this is a term that means to proclaim or preach, and it was formal proclamations of the early church. So again, you're thinking about doctrine, you're thinking about maybe songs, you're thinking about creeds, things that people would quote at church. It was a way to teach people doctrine. You'd you'd write, like Jesus would even, he'd share parables to remember. He would share short statements for people to remember. Even you think about the Beatitudes, right? Oh, yeah. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. (laughs) It's easy to remember, right? It is, it is. Because people couldn't read because they were illiterate. Mm. So the disciples were teaching the early church doctrine, and they put them in um, uh, easy-to-remember formats, songs or creeds oh, yeah. or, or rhyming poems kind of thing. And we find a bunch of these in Paul's letters. Yes, and particularly some of the letters that Bart Ehrman says virtually all scholars agree with, right? Exactly. 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 Especially 1 Corinthians. Yes. Um, in 1 Corinthians, if, if, if you've read it lately, I mean, you should read it. But Paul quotes Jesus multiple times in there. And it's interesting to think he's quoting Jesus about um, uh, marriage and divorce. He quotes Jesus about communion. Yes. Remember, on the night mm-hmm. he was betrayed, he took the cup and he said, but now think about this. He's quoting things that Jesus said, but the Gospels haven't been written yet. So where's he getting these quotes from? Mm, that's right. <laughs> that's, yeah. And now we don't think about that because we forget sometimes what the order of these were written in. Yeah, you're right. But you're right. he directly, the communion stuff, he directly quotes Luke. Yeah. But Luke hasn't been written yet. So 
So That's where is he getting this yeah. stuff? So basically, there's this thing. It's called Jesus tradition or called kerygma. The sayings of Jesus that people were memorizing or the doctrines of the church that people were memorizing. Yeah. And there's a ton of these in Paul's letters uh, in Romans and 1 Corinthians. And we want to talk about one of them because it's probably the earliest Christian creed, the earliest Christian kerygma yes. that we have. So um, just to set this up, Paul writes uh, 1 Corinthians, I think in about 51, uh, Yeah, if I'm I think right. that's what we had it at. Is that where it's at? Yeah, fi- yeah. 1 Corinthians, oh, the late date would be 55, okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. So it's okay. around then, yeah. It's yeah, around yeah. 55. So he, he, but he visited, Cor- you have to admit, if he's writing a letter to a church he established, he went there and established the church before he wrote 1 Corinthians, Yes. right? So we're That's moving back from 55 to probably about, I think it's 51 because we date him being there during Gallio's uh, governorship of Corinth, and there's mm-hmm. archaeological evidence that backs that up. So he's there in 51. Um, so he has this saying when he goes there because in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, he says, I delivered to you, church at Corinth, as of first importance what I also received. So he's reminding them, remember when I visited you, I told you this, right? Yeah, right. So, so Paul has whatever that he's going to say. He has this saying when he went to Corinth for the first time in about 51. But he then says, and I received this. So the question is, when did he receive this saying, this creed, this early Christian doctrine? Right? right? Yeah. And if you pair it with Galatians, which is, again, an undisputed letter— that's right. Mm-hmm. Paul talks about what happened to him and his conversion experience, and then for three years he was trying to make sense of it, and then he went up to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James and John. Right. And that's where virtually all scholars think he received this creed because he goes up another 14 years later to make sure he has the gospel and he wasn't, he says, running in vain. And then he says, and they gave me the right hand of fellowship. They said, you got it. And he says, so Mm -hmm. we preach, so you believe, like we all are on the same page. So they didn't give him this creed then. They were saying, you've got it. So most people believe Mm -hmm. it was about five years after Jesus died that Paul received this creed. Yes. And then this is the doctrine he was taking and sharing. This was the message he Mm -hmm. was going around the world sharing. And he reminds the Corinthians of it. So he writes 1 Corinthians in 55 AD, but this saying that's embedded in this letter predates the letter. Yes. Does that make sense? Because he's quoting something earlier. It'd be like if I was quoting Abraham Lincoln in a book. The quote predates my book. Yes, and it had to be based off of the evidence provided. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So within the New Testament letters of Paul, we have earlier uh, reports of Jesus. Does that make make sense? right. So within the earliest reports of the manuscripts, of of the letters written, we have even earlier reports. Wow. There's stuff actually, too, and and this isn't in, in Paul stuff, but in Acts, there's all these, like, remember Peter gets up and he gives his big sermon. Paul gives yes. these big speeches to different people. Um, scholars believe that those speeches are actually not original things that Luke wrote, but they're things he's quoting. So those oh, speeches yeah. even predate the book of Acts. So, so you're saying all of this early manuscript evidence that we have also contains even earlier predated yeah, evidence. because they're quoting something yeah, that it goes makes back sense. further. It makes sense because it, there's evidence that it was written earlier. Exactly. So, or spoken of earlier. In spoken of too. earlier. It's a report earlier. So, yeah. so when you get into these creeds too, they're made uh, to rhyme or they're made in kind of a rhythmic fashion so that it's easy to remember. Yeah, right? of course. You want to keep people remembering them yeah that's the whole point <laughs> and we have that here in first corinthians 15 3 through 7 but paul adds on an addendum to it um so do you want to read that for us tyler um yeah sorry where at it's first corinthians, here? okay yep, perfect 15 perfect. 3, through, there we 3 through 8 yeah 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 so it says for i delivered to you as of first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to the one untimely born, he appeared to me also. 
Okay. So this is the creed that predates the letter, that yes. predates Paul mm-hmm. coming to Corinth, that he received probably five years after Jesus died. So think about this. If Paul received it five years after Jesus died, then it had existed before he received it, right? Mm. Yeah. And so people do all this analysis and study to see how long did it take for saints to develop in first century Palestine. Because for now, like for us to for us to be familiar with a popular song takes a week. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. Because a song can be on the radio or on Spotify. And you can and remember it for like the rest of your life. And yeah, you got it, right? But back then, they didn't have radio. They didn't have this kind of thing. Yeah. So for a saying to develop, it had to be taught and spoken of and memorized and taught to your kids and this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this early Christian kerygma, this creed that's in First Corinthians, critics concede Uh, skeptical critics of Christianity and Christian critics. Yes. They concede that this saying was formulated somewhere between two to three years after the events of Jesus' death. Yeah. So so the point of that is we want early reports. Yeah, that's crazy. The earliest letter we have written is from 49 AD, but within it, uh, well, and yeah, Galatians, but then within 1 Corinthians, we have a creed that goes all the way back. So it's not like we have a 20-year time gap. Yeah, yeah. We have stuff in there that pre-existed before it. Right. Does that make sense? So we've made up for that 20-year time gap. Pretty much going back to ground zero, people were saying, what? Jesus died. He rose yes, again. Yes. He was buried, and a bunch of people saw him. And I, I think it takes it back a little bit too to that nine uh, eleven analogy you just gave, Robbie. It's like mm-hmm. it's as though uh, you know all that time has passed by, but as as if we had a song or some sort of poem mm-hmm. or something that was somber to help us remember every detail of what happened. Well, I mean, you know what it right? is. You, you know what that is. Never forget. Yeah. That was a saying. That never came forget. Up. You are absolutely forget. right. And when everybody says never forget right now, you know you're you talking know about 9-11. You're, you're talking about an event 20 years ago. That's exactly yeah. what this is. Yeah. So there you go. So so in the same way, that's what we have here. And yeah. so it's as if we wrote something down now, quoting never forget. It's like, oh, what are they talking about? Yep. It's an event that happened it then. It goes back. Yeah. Yep. So and it's not go. something original. It's something we're quoting. Yes. So now here's where it gets crazy. We talked about the Jesus Seminar earlier, right? And mm-hmm. they're very skeptical of the New Testament and very liberal. They believe that this saying in 1 Corinthians 15 can only be as late as two years after Jesus' death. Mm, now, they don't yeah. believe Jesus rose from the dead. They don't believe any of that. But they believe people were saying he did all this stuff no more than two years after he died. Right. Gerd Ludemann, who is a New Testament scholar in Germany and an atheist, he says this saying can't be more than three years after Jesus died. Yeah, that's right. Um, Larry Hurtado, who is at Edinburgh, says that this material is actually from 30 AD. So he says, no, no, no. It goes back all the way till and well, the time that makes sense. And I'm thinking about this too. Uh, even if they're saying like, you know, this, this dated two to three years after his death, right? Yeah. You got to think for it to spread around, people had to already be saying it right before that. Mm-hmm. So it's highly likely just in general that people started up this creed in this saying yeah. literally right when he died. Well, you have Peter getting up like yeah. 40 days after, right? I mean, Pentecost, right? Yeah. And he starts preaching. You all saw this stuff happen here in Jerusalem in this town, right? Yeah. So they're already yeah. preaching and people are being converted. It even says some of the priests, some of the Pharisees were converted, right? Yeah. So they're, they're, they're teaching doctrine and this saying spans the time gap plus a lot of other sayings like what jesus said for communion uh, plus you've got other creeds like in romans where it says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that's a baptismal creed right there's a whole bunch yeah. of them in the timothy's paul says it's a trustworthy statement and then he quotes something yeah. right there's all of these speeches or creeds or songs or doctrines that predate the written accounts yes yes and so those count as early reports and they go back all the way to pretty much, according to these atheistic scholars, two to three years after the event. Larry Hurtado, he's not an atheist, but he says it's from 30. Richard Bauckham, he says it's mm-hmm. from 30. James D.G. Dunn says that the latest this could have been from, this creed could have been formulated, was six months after Jesus died and rose wow. from the grave. Yeah, so just like I said, just like that. <laughs> yeah, just immediately people were saying this. So there's not enough time for legend to develop. Is yeah, the, is, yeah. The, is the case right after Jesus died, people were saying he rose and he appeared to a whole bunch of people. 
Yeah, yeah. So our our reports early, they're extremely early. Not just the the books of the New Testament, because the latest one, ninety five uh, for for Revelation and for the Gospel of John, right? Mm. Uh, that would be what sixty five years later. That's the latest it can be. Yeah. The earliest is 19, but then within these books, we have stuff that even goes back earlier. So we have multiple independent sources, yeah, and we have super early reports. Yeah, and that's got that creed in itself implies that the general public was aware of what was happening back then, and they were making these claims early on. So that yep. that is just some strong evidence that multiple people were holding to this idea. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the core doctrine of Christianity— the gospel yeah. <laughs> was being taught right away. It that's, wasn't a legend yeah. that developed much later. Yeah. So I think that's huge. Now let's transition to something a little bit different um, about early reports. Cause now we want to talk about the manuscript evidence, right? That's right. Cause we don't have Paul's original letter to the Galatians from 49 AD. And we don't mm-hmm. have John's original gospel from 95. And we don't, we don't have any of the original they're called the autographs, right? The, right, the right. ones that they actually wrote. All we have are copies of what they wrote. Of course, yeah. And now, how do we date them? Well, because of internal evidence and a whole bunch of other stuff. But we, we're not going to get into all that. But um, we want to... We're, we are going to get into that in a few weeks, but not today. Yes, not today. <laughs> right, right, right. But we want to say, okay, what physical copies of the New Testament do we have... And how old are they? And how far from when the originals were written do we have physical copies that we can hold in our hand today? Yes. Right? So do we have really early? Because could you imagine, Tyler, like what if um, we say, oh, yeah, you know, Paul wrote in 49 AD. Mm. And you say, okay, well, what, you know, what's the earliest copy you have of that? And we say, oh, it's from 1985. Well, there's like two thousand yeah. years of time. How do you know that that's exactly yeah, that's what he not, said? Like that's rough, right? Mm-hmm. No, it'd be great if we had copies that go pretty close back to the time he yes, wrote it. Right? Yes. So, um, when you do history, you you want to look at this not just in regards to the New Testament, but in regards to all history, right? Oh yeah. And so uh, there is a really helpful chart, and it's originally from Josh McDowell, but it actually was updated a few years ago by uh, one of my professors, Clay Jones, and he's been on the podcast before. But he Mm. searched out how many manuscripts, ancient manuscripts there are, of all of these different uh, sources from Homer, from Plato, from Caesar, from Tacitus, and from the New Testament. And he came up with an updated list of how many manuscripts we have, and then how old are the oldest ones, and what's the time gap between the oldest manuscripts we have and when the supposed thing was actually written. Yes, and it's so fascinating to see this list. Why don't you walk us through a little of that? Let's start with Homer, right? Homer's a good category, right? He wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Let's start with him. Yeah, so uh, Homer's Odyssey is, sorry, Iliad. Uh, Homer's Iliad, He it was written around 800 BC, right? Okay, so he wrote around 800 BC. Yeah, yep. and, and the earliest manuscripts we have of that are around 400 BC. Okay, so wait a second. He wrote in 800 BC. Yes. The earliest physical manuscript we can hold in our hands today comes from 400 BC. Yes. So there is 400 years of a time gap in between when he's supposedly written and the earliest manuscript we have. Yes, that's correct. Would it be possible within that 400 years for somebody to have taken the copy we have, scratched out the original author's name and wrote their name Homer? It's possible. It's possible, right? Now, again, I don't believe that. Yeah, we, yeah. we all believe Homer wrote oh, the Iliad. Oh, sure, sure. But it's interesting. You think about history. 400 years, you know, that's... That's, that's a long time. It's almost twice as long yeah, as America has been a country. But it's astounding because uh, what's interesting is you see even just in secular culture, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody doubts that, like, Homer no, wrote the Iliad. of course not. And I don't doubt it either. Yeah, yeah. But you that's know what a I mean? long time gap. But that's what I mean. Like, yeah, you're absolutely right, Robbie. That's a long time gap, 400 years, but yet we still hold to it is like yes this this happened versus like you t- take biblical manuscripts right like we yeah. were just talking about at the latest we're talking like 50 to 60 years of when they were gap. written but yeah. when they were written but from we the, also are, we yeah. want to look at when they were written and then what physical evidence do we have exactly right? yes exactly and so homer man 400 years is a long time yes well let's look at um let's look at somebody else who else is on the list that'd be interesting yes her her sorry <laughs> Let's skip him. Who cares? Nobody knows yeah, who right. he is. Let's go to um, let's go to Plato. 
There we go. Let's do Plato. Plato's Let's do that. kind of a he's kind of a big deal. Yes, right? Plato's honestly, yeah, lots of philosophy comes from Plato. Yeah. And lots of different ideas. So it So the, his work, Tetralogies. Yes, that right? was written around four hundred BC. Okay. okay. Four hundred BC he writes his his book, okay? Yes. And the earliest manuscript we have of that is eight ninety five. And now is that I think that's well, AD. AD, right? Yeah. yeah. AD. So that's what, thirteen hundred years? That's a long time, yeah. And nobody doubts that Plato wrote that. No. But that's a long time. Yeah. That's a really long years? time. That's a really long time between when he wrote and the first manuscript we can hold in our hand today. Yes. All right. Well, what about um, Tacitus? So Tacitus, yeah, Tacitus. He's, he's the best Roman historian ever. He, we know a ton about Roman culture and, and history because of him. That's absolutely right. And okay. now a lot of his work uh, for... His work on Annals, is that how you say it? Yeah. Yeah, Annals. Annals. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was written in 100 AD. Okay, and right? 100 AD. Okay. That's when it's dated to be written. Yep. However, the earliest manuscript we have that the, is split in half. Okay. The first half we have from the earliest manuscript is 850 AD. Okay. The second half is 1050 AD. Okay, so he wrote in 100. The first half we have is from 850. The second yeah. half we have is from 1050. So that's yeah. a 750 to 950 year yeah. time gap from the greatest Roman historian who we know pretty much all of Rome, Roman history from. Yes, all and of Roman ever, history. Nobody ever says, oh, that's too long to, to not know yeah, if it's true. Yeah. Maybe it got changed. Maybe there was folklore added. Maybe everybody agrees that we can know from it. Yeah, it, it seems like... Whenever something comes with morality, people change how we do history. That's yeah. kind of what I think. <laughs> it's I'm just saying, but yeah. Okay, so this is this is a good this is a good um, sample of what we find with other historical yes. books, mm-hmm. and especially Tacitus because that's about the time the New Testament. Was yeah, written. that's what I was going to say. Well, now let's jump to the New Testament documents. Yes, when they were written, and we already talked about they were written between 49 and 95, right? So mm-hmm. let's just round up to say between 50 and 100 A.D. Yeah, that's right. What is the earliest manuscript we have of the New Testament uh, that we can hold in our hands today? When when is it from? Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember that. Uh, we it's um in 50- it's on the chart. Oh well, there we go. What do you know? <laughs> fifty. I was going to say the exact year I thought was fifty five A.D., but it's fifty A.D. right here. Correct. Well, yeah. well, Galatians was probably written in forty nine. That's what I was thinking. And okay, then, and then John's probably written in you know they say ninety five or Revelation. Right, 95. right. Okay, okay. But yeah, we'll roughly just say about fifty between fifty and a hundred. Yeah, that's when it was written. What is the earliest manuscript we have that we can hold in our hand today? Oh yeah, one hundred and thirty A.D. Okay, and that's liberal. Yes. Because I know some people who believe that it's actually 125 or 120. Yes, correct. But we're just saying it's from 130 AD, and it's it's the John Ryland papyri, and it's from the Gospel of John. Yes. Mm-hmm. So John's written in 95. We have physical evidence that you can hold in your hand today that's from 130. Yeah, yeah. So that's a 40-year time that's gap? That's a 40-year time at gap. At the most. It's probably earlier, to be honest, yeah, and, but at and the that most. Is, that is the most. And what's fascinating is you look, the, the only earliest time gap that we discussed other than that is the Iliad, and that's 400 years. <laughs> yeah. Do you that, realize that? That's, that's the second best, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's the earliest time gap that we just discussed. Yeah. Yeah. 400 years. That's pretty bad. So, so... The, that's something historical that people all over agree yeah. like this happened, right? Now, it doesn't mean that, it, yes, but it, the fact that we have a short time gap between when the New Testament was written and physical evidence of it today doesn't mean what it says is true. Oh, of course. Yeah, but but it's credible. But it, but what we could what we could deduce day. is mm-hmm. it probably is accurate to what they originally wrote. Yes, if that we're going to take that Homer wrote the Iliad and what he wrote he wrote in eight hundred, but it's from four hundred years later that we have the first evidence. Yeah, of it. but you're not going to do that with the Bible with the New Testament in forty years. Yeah, doesn't mean it's I'm true, but you have to admit it's probably accurate to what they yeah. wrote. Right? Yeah. So that's that's important uh, for us to understand. Uh, we we don't just have early reports embedded in the books, but we have early evidence that the books were written from from the time the books were written yes. of the books, which is fascinating. I have a really cool quote here from Bruce Metzger. He he says, <clears throat> "On the contrary, the time between the composition of the books of the New Testament and the earliest extant copies is relatively brief." Instead of a lapse of a millennium or more, as is the case of not a few classical authors, several papyrus manuscripts of portions of the New Testament are extant that were copied within a century or so 
after the composition of the original documents. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and it's astounding. It's embarrassing how many we have. Even the amount of manuscript evidence we have far surpasses everything. Uh, Homer's Iliad, we have 1,757 ancient manuscripts of it. Yes. The earliest being right. 400 years after he wrote. For the New Testament, we have 5,795, and we're finding more all the time. Oh, yeah. So we have uh, about, what, four over four times more than second place does. Yeah, it's so it's crazy to I've look at that. Daniel Wallace, he, he's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he calls this evidence an embarrassment of riches. Like, we yeah, have so yeah. much evidence for the New Testament when it was written and that it accurately, we can know what it accurately said yes. uh, mm-hmm. because of the time gap, which is just uh, fascinating. Now, this gets a little, I think, cool. In addition to the manuscripts we have, and, and we're not talking about uh, translations into other languages like Syriac or Coptic oh, or yeah. none of that. We're just talking about Greek manuscripts. But in addition to those Greek manuscripts, we also have another piece of evidence that's very ancient. Mm. And it's quotes from early church fathers. Because yes. obviously these guys were writing about the Bible. Yeah. So just like in, in sermons we write or whatever, mm-hmm. we quote the Bible. Yeah. So when you look at the quotes that we have here, uh, you can see like, uh, oh, if they were still talking about this stuff back then and they were quoting it all the time, then it probably means that that's what was written. It must have existed. Yeah, people must are have quoting existed. It. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yep. And so this is an interesting, uh, a fa- fascinating fact. So um, there are approximately, if you, if you look at the entire New Testament verses and you add them up, depending mm-hmm. on the version and depending on the variants and stuff, there's somewhere around 7,000 959 verses in the New Testament. Yes. 7,959. So almost 8,000, right? Within the quotes of early church fathers, we have 36,289 verses quoted. There's only about 8,000. We have 36 plus. So it's the entirety of the New Testament. Over and over and over and over again. Just in quotes. Just in quotes from early church fathers. Dating from the early church fathers we're talking about are Justin Martyr, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Clement, Origen, Tertullian, Hippolytus, Eusebius. So these guys lived between about 100 AD to 339 AD. Wow. Yeah. That and they quote over and over and over again the entirety of the New Testament. Yeah, that's insane. It's just amazing how much I've heard people gotta... say that if we burned all the manuscript evidence we have of the Greek New Testament and all of the translations in Coptic and Syriac and all these yeah. other languages, we could still reconstruct the whole New Testament just from quotes from the early church fathers. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, so yeah. early reports, right. yes. Multiple independent sources, yes. Tons of evidence for what it originally said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, does it mean what it says is true? Well, we haven't gotten to that yet. All we've established is that a bunch of people were saying these things happened and recording these things about Jesus and about the church that started after him. And then we've also seen that the reports are very early. So, multiple independent sources, right, yeah. very, very, very early sources, basically ground zero sources. Yeah, and that's so crazy. Like we we have so much in quotes that it's roughly uh, seven times the the New Testament is repeated just yeah. in quotes. Like yeah. that's just it's insane. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and, and and a lot of these church fathers too were writing books and sending them to Caesar. Yeah, because yeah. you know Christianity was seen as a cult or illegal, and they were talking about Justin Martyr. I know he's arguing that they're not atheists because that was a charge against Christians that they were atheists because they only worship one God. Yeah, and they that's denied right. all the rest. Uh-huh. And he's saying we're not atheists; we just think there's one. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, that's right. And then he quotes scripture a lot. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's just amazing evidence for the New Testament's reliability. Now, we've established there are a bunch of early reports for these documents. We've established there's multiple independent sources for them. Mm -hmm. And next week, we're going to start getting into other things like uh, enemy attestation. We'll start looking at um, how do we know, were they written by eyewitnesses, right? Is there evidence that these were actual eyewitnesses who were there, who recorded these events? You're not going to want to miss that because that is fascinating stuff. And it validates a lot of what we were talking about here as far as the early witnesses and the early source reporting. And so yes. you, you definitely want to continue along with us in this series as a whole. Yep. But the New Testament documents are the yep. best attested ancient documents 
that we have in history. Yes. And you cannot deny that from the amount of evidence we have for them. Doesn't mean what they say are true, but it means that they are something to contend with and something yeah, to take seriously. Right. You can't just write it off as, oh, those aren't original or, oh, that's legendary. You cannot do that. Yeah. You have to you have to wrestle with the evidence of the New Testament documents, which I like. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. So, Well, hey, we're glad that you've been here. Uh, I hope this hasn't been too technical. I hope it's encouraged you as a believer yes. to go, man, mm-hmm. I'm not just believing in fairy tales. This stuff is anchored in history. Yeah. Um, but if you're not a believer, t- take seriously the New Testament. Like, it's there. Where did it come from? Yeah. And yeah. why did these guys write this stuff down? A whole bunch of them. Why did they write these accounts of Jesus and miracles he did and the resurrection he had and the church he spawned out of Jerusalem? Why did they all die? for writing this stuff and believing this stuff and teaching this stuff. Why would they do that? And I I think it's because they really believed it was true yeah, because yeah. they saw something and they That's experienced right. something and it was the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, and uh, just there's so much evidence. We're so excited to keep getting into this with you guys. Uh, please be sure to tune in next week as we continue on this series. Uh, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe and mm-hmm. like and leave us a comment. Tell us what you think. And... Be sure to tune in for more content because we're super excited to keep digging into more biblical topics with you. Yep. Thanks so much for being with us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.